Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor chief at Voice of San Diego. And I'm joined, as always, by Andrew Keats, managing editor at Voice of San Diego. He is not a star on TikTok. Hello, Andy. Scott, how you doing, pal? I'm well, thank you. Fellow managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafania, also not a star on TikTok. <laughs> okay. Why, Lopez? <laughs> What's up, Lewis? One, Are of, you? one of us was offended by that, those introductions. <laughs> I, however, am, and I won't forget you. Wait, can I say it? I shared Scott's video uh, on my Instagram, yeah. and I did the little scale like uh, a TikTok star is born, and only two people voted, and one of them was Scott. <laughs> I was just seeing what it was. I didn't understand what it was. Uh, coming up on the show this week, when worlds collide, we're going to talk about the moments when public policy meets the real world. And the chaos that ensues when it does, we'll get into the road user charge, climate action plan, coastal height limit, low riders, and more. Plus, San Diegans are falling into homelessness faster than the region can house people. We've got new data from the Regional Task Force on Homelessness. We'll explain the new numbers and some context and consider the ways we think about progress in the homelessness crisis. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Have you at all followed this scandal in the poker world? It was in the LA Times today uh, about what happened. Uh, only insofar as I do monitor your Twitter feed <laughs> and I see you talking to people that have like like the pictures of themselves at poker tables, yeah. but with like money signs on their eyes, <laughs> or just like looks like they could be crypto bros, or maybe they're yeah, poker players. Yeah. For me, there was this this experience I had with poker as I was starting to get into it, where like oh, you got into poker recently. for a while, yeah, okay, uh, where you would be in a situation that was a little over your head, yeah, and you would just do something, and all the people who weren't in over their head would look at you like that was weird and dumb, yeah, and why did you do that, yeah? Well, this is kind of a version of that, and it was goes to your point about how people apply like structure and rationality to things that aren't rational and aren't structured. They're just not planned. So this woman, Robbie Jade Liu was playing a hand of poker against this like superstar poker guy, Garrett Adelstein. Right. And they're playing this hand and she has a Jack four, like nothing in this, in this thing. And he doesn't have anything, but he actually had a chance to get something in the hand. Mm -hmm. He goes all in to force her to fold, right? Yeah. And she not only doesn't fold, she calls and wins like $150,000 in the hand, like some just ungodly amount of money. 
And I've, I've been plagued by proximity to poker people enough to know that they were outraged by this instantaneously. Yes, he was like, yeah. when, when she, he sees what she had, he's like, how did you make that decision? How could you possibly have made that decision? Now, she's relatively new to poker. Right, never entertaining the idea of like, made a bad decision and it worked out yeah that that so immediately they start accusing her of cheating it's on tv so somehow she heard what was in the cards she made a decision they were accusing her of like having like things inside of her body oh jeez that buzzed what to like let her know whether things were i mean it was crazy and Mm -hmm. it just got and they never once just contemplated that maybe she was just like Made out up. of her league completely and made like a really irrational decision that just happened to work out, right? Yeah, right. And I think it gets to this point. Like, I can't we, wait to see how you bring this back to public, public policy. Go for it right now. <laughs> this got even more interesting mm-hmm. because one of the guys who worked in the back room of this television production facility took $15,000 of chips from her stack while they were viewing the the... The video of this thing, they see him take fifteen thousand dollars of chips from her stack, and so all of the poker bros in the world are like, "This is there proof. it is. There, he's in on colluding. it. They're colluding, right?" And sure. the the real the latest news is that no, actually, she's pressing charges against him for grand theft. Yeah, because he just it just so happened that at that particular there are moment, no coincidences. The poker bros are ins- insistent that coincidences do not exist in this world. Yes, nothing could be explained by haphazard randomness. They this, fear their own death, and they therefore <laughs> seek order and try to explain it as such. Yes, that yeah. this happened and was the, was just incontrovertible proof that something untoward was going on, mm-hmm. and it fed the narrative that she was cheating. Mm-hmm. Now she's been up and down like I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I did. I was just I misread my hand. I also don't know what I'm doing. It's just, like, and she's not really helping because she keeps making up different reasons she did it, which is what you do yeah. when you're trying to add logic. Absolutely, to, to something like, random, to, to something you did that was quite dumb. Yeah, and so although it made you one hundred fifty thousand dollars, she actually gave the money back. She felt so bad, which is another like, just like another like weird aspect of this like bullying that happened, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I think it gets to your point. Like, like there's like a tremendous amount of effort in our world to try to add like order and rationality to things mm-hmm. that that doesn't have it that people are all over the place and in fact probably aren't paying any attention to anything that you think they're paying attention to or plotting in the same way that you think they are and i think that feeds kind of what we want to talk about today which is like there's a lot of assumptions about order and plans and and what's going to happen in the world that when it actually is surfaced looks completely dumb. Yeah. To tie it directly into what we're talking about. I think uh, an example of that is when the, the city of San Diego passed its climate action plan seven years ago, one of the ways that the people who supported it and promoted it and passed it and made the argument that this was going to be a really good policy and a guiding document for the city was, well, lots of people in San Diego acknowledge the scientific consensus on climate change and believe that we should do everything in our power to stop those ill effects and to try to reverse it. And therefore, if we set adopt this policy that provides a roadwork of how we're going to do that, they'll fall in line to support each of those support the, those steps within the project because after all, they support the big picture goal. And it turns out that like when the rubber meets the road on that one, they actually they they're happy to surrender their like big picture view mm-hmm. that climate change is real and we should do a lot of things to stop it yeah and that the the like idea that if you believe a you'll support all of the things that that feed into a right right um and so you have been i would say putting together a theory in fits and starts for a few years now eh, maybe a few months i should say that I want to see if you can try to articulate as best you can. We'll 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 go through for a little while here and try to um, poke and prod the idea and, and see if we can stress test it. But before we do that, I would like you to, as best as you can, provide for us the theory of San Diego policy and the issues that that it is running into 
as it is put into practice. Yeah, so I guess I'd say there's there's it feels like there's two worlds developing. There's this world that we're we're commentators in, that we think in, that we talk in, mm-hmm. and that we help share information within about public policy. And then there's this whole other world of where people actually the vast majority of people actually are and are functioning and working and doing their daily lives, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is increasingly more moments when those two worlds are colliding, where the actual impacts of those decisions and those policies are becoming real and communicated in the broader masses, and it's not coming out really well for the policy. Okay, so let me ask you this. Who would you say are the two most prominent local elected officials in San Diego who would be willing to articulate climate angst and goals? Well, uh, I would say certainly in terms of prominence, Maritad Gloria, right. for sure. Um, I I would typically say Supervisor Nathan Fletcher. True. Okay. Um, although he sort of, I, I don't know that he's like made his real mark talking about climate specifically. I'd say maybe, maybe I mean, Sandag Chair Catherine Blakespear. Right. Okay. Let's take those two. Yeah. Now, we have talked a lot about the driving fee, right? Catherine Blakespear and Todd Gloria. So, yeah, you're right. I spoke at this climate action campaign uh, thing. I was a moderator of a panel. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the panel was, how do you keep climate as a top political priority in the region? Mm-hmm. And my argument to them to start this was, actually, I don't think that's the problem. I think it is a top priority in the region. I think the problem is, and it should be reframed, that it is whenever the policies that are set as a priority, Mm -hmm. whenever they're set and actually like felt by the broader community, Mm -hmm. they meet such a backlash and such an intense political problem that that the people uh, who champion them and push them back off immediately. Yeah. And, And that the problem isn't how do you keep climate action as a top priority for the region. Mm-hmm. The, pl- the problem is, how do you keep it from dissolving away the moment people understand what it is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so look at Catherine, Catherine Blakespear and Todd Gloria. She's running for state senate. He's the mayor of San Diego. Mm-hmm. And both of them are the two biggest leaders within the San Diego Association of Governments. And that entity is looking at its 40-year plan for regional transportation. And in that plan is one, what I would call like maybe one, of, it's, it's like one of a hundred principles that have to be taken into consideration or adopted if you truly care about climate in the future, right? If, if you're worried about climate in the future, then the idea of charging people for how much they drive is kind of an obvious one. Yeah. Like it's, it shouldn't even be a thing. Like it's, if, 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 if you're that committed as these folks say they are to the, the climate problem, then it shouldn't even be a question that, that this is something they have to pursue. A, the gas tax is going away. You can't build any infrastructure without some sort of replacement for it because the, if we all go to electric cars, it's not going to work. And then B, you do need to like make the cost of driving real to people. Yeah. And I, like C, like <laughs> the the principle that people object to that it's like so totalitarian and offensive to like to to be charged to drive is something that they have lived with their entire life yeah. in 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 a only very barely different mechanism which was the gas tax. Right. <laughs> like like that's what a gas tax does also. And yet you see what happened with that. Right. The moment that it became weaponized by opponents of it, by Republican leaders in the regional transportation world, Republican mayors, uh, all these folks, the one the moment that they I think quite well framed and articulated it as a concept that that these folks were adopting and actually planning on, mm-hmm. the very moment that happened, what did they do? They like instantaneously abandoned it. Instantly abandoned it. They walked away from it and and tried to like deny they were even like 
going to do it or it was real. And, and we promise we're going to take it out as soon as possible. We've, we've chronicled on this show for the last six months how hard it's been for them to actually do it. But they are. Which they haven't done it. Yeah. They are, <laughs> they are so clearly politically terrified of it yeah. that they don't want to have anything to do with it. That's fair to say. I think that's fair to say. And so I think that over and over and over again in this region, we are seeing moments where the policy that is cooked up in this one world mm -hmm. of, about dealing with these sorts of things, when it makes the leap to the real masses, it, it, is in, it encounters pushback. And the leaders that put it together have shown absolutely no desire to defend it, to argue for it, to at, at all even try to preserve it. And over and over and over again, we're seeing it. So you mentioned the climate action plans, goals for how people will live and work. Like you drive down the freeway, you see thousands of people driving on the freeway the other way. This plan says that a good portion of them, half of them, half of them, will change the way they get around the, the community. And none of them know that. <laughs> none of them. Yeah. But you know the moment they do, yeah. when they find out, right. they're going to be like, no. No, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to what? And, and, and we see it. And, and like, I, th I mean, I think the, 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 the thought that, that fed into it was like, yeah, yeah, but when we polled on the matter, you said you cared about the environment. Yes. Like that was a contract yes. with us. <laughs> We've got your signature here in blood. You answered the pollster or 71% of you did and said you cared. So like we wrote this whole plan based on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, and we're seeing it just this week, right? There's, there's this mm -hmm. policy going forward at the city right now. There was a previous policy that was put forward that if you have property within a half mile radius of any major transit stop, you can develop more. You can build more homes, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have to do some of the parking requirements and other things to make that possible, right? Yeah. The moment that that helped a controversial project, Marnie Von Wilper, another person, city councilwoman, who would defend to the to the to the end, her commitment to climate action, mm -hmm. and like alleviating the housing crisis, or right? Right. Mm -hmm. the, the moment that that happened, she said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! You have calculated this half mile radius for how the crow flies. That's not how anybody gets around. There's canyons, there's freeways, and stuff. It should be half mile how you walk, right? And now they've come up with another policy that would be like a mile of how you walk. It'd be so complicated." Precisely because the moment that the policy mattered, it got too hard and hot, right? Right. And, and I think like it just keeps happening where these policies, these, these politicians are very excited to set these goals and these commitments because it gives them a benefit. Even Mayor Kevin Faulkner loved it. He got to run for governor because people were like, this guy's a real progressive Republican because he, he supported the climate action. I just want to thank you for reminding me Plan. that Kevin Faulkner once ran for governor. Forgot yes. about that. Yes. That was a thing that happened like a, a year ago. Yes. But all of the implications oh, yeah. of the policy had yet to be like dealt with. Yeah. They, were they weren't real. Right. And they weren't pursuing them with any degree. And it happens over... The, the the community plans that people come up with within mm -hmm. the city of San Diego, these decide how many homes should be built where to conform to the climate action plans goals of how do people would change the, how they get around. They would have to be different and they're not. They're never what they would have to be to conform to the plan. Yeah, never. Not never. one ever. <laughs> yeah. Not ever. Yeah. yeah. And now, they, now they're talking about electrifying buildings, all buildings. They, mm -hmm. It's another classic thing. Like, Yes, if we're going to deal seriously with climate and, and carbon emissions, buildings should run on electricity that is generated cleanly, right? Mm -hmm. right. Or th through uh, non-carbon emitting sources, right? And yet, I don't think people realize that we are marching toward a, a, a requirement that all buildings, all homes need to have Total electricity. They should not have connections to natural gas. 
and that one, like a lot of this stuff is like long-term stuff, but something I always try to think about with the electrification is like one thing you are absolutely thinking long-term about is when you buy a house. You know how I know you're thinking long-term? Because they make you sign a 30-year mortgage. <laughs> when you when you sign the 30-year mortgage, they show you how much you're going to be paying every month in like 30 years. Yeah. Some, it's insane. You're like, this isn't a real year. You yeah. think I'm going to spend that in February of 2050? What are you, <laughs> a maniac? But like in the horizon of an actual mortgage, it is currently the guiding policy of the city of San Diego that somebody who owns a home right now will change out all of those fixtures. Yeah. And your dryer, yeah. your water heater, yeah. your stove. <laughs> right. They're all gonna that there is a there is plans and policies and commitments on the book that those will switch. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, that's all up here. And th- the people driving by on the freeway, they got no idea. They got no idea. <laughs> They're despite just living lives. Despite this along. awesome podcast we put out and Politifest <laughs> and all the things, it's not it's not grounded right they don't yeah and when it does like are they gonna stick with it all right so he, he let me my first i don't even know if this is a counter argument I, uh, let's see how we how we reconcile this so let's go back to the road user charge yeah that didn't become real right that plan it, that that idea is in the plan it is speculated to be enacted in like 2030 based on what's in the plan uh, that would require a state legal change. It would require a vote of Sandeg's board. They don't even have the technology decision about how they would actually administer it. All that's to be determined. Um, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's like still very abstract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What changed isn't it becoming real to people. What changed was other politicians, other people up in the upper level of these two worlds that you're talking about. Waving a flag Wait, to the masses. And saying, and do you is. know what these people have committed you to? Mm-hmm. This is going to happen. So it's like, is it that eventually the world, these two worlds collide when something that was agreed to becomes real to people living their lives? Or is it that like there's a group of people who rely on doing stuff silently Focusing on the abstract principle that's guiding those commitments. And they just have to hope against hope that no one ever starts saying and I think everything that's in there. And and like cause cause what happened with the road user charge was Carl DeMaio and Jim Desmond and Rebecca Jones and uh you Richard know Bailey. Richard Bailey started talking in very blunt terms about the implications of this abstract policy that was embedded in this document. And Todd Gloria and Catherine Blakespeare were unwilling to defend it on those same terms. Yeah. They were unwilling to say any of the stuff you said about like, well, look, if you if if you genuinely believe in these climate change principles, there's really no other way. If you think about it abstractly, like you already pay a user fee or something like it through the gas tax, this is a replacement of that. Um they they didn't want to defend it on its merits and like i think cynically one might say that what's going on here is that these policies rely on not talking about what's in them i think there's two there's two different routes one is yes you can have a politician or a group of people who understand the implications and know how powerful they could be and translate them and then de- you have to deal with the consequences of that. Or it really does get to the point where act- something actually has to happen. Like, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. people start to realize, oh, I have to, I cannot sell my house unless I, you know, yes. do all the gas mm-hmm. stoves and, and, and such. Those, when those moments hit, those are like, those are, those are where the policy becomes like an actual stove. Like it becomes this mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, but so it can happen both ways. And you kind of have to like decide. If it happens the rhetoric way, yeah. you have to decide, is it do I have time? Can I? Do I have the ability, the time, and the commitment to like change the framing of it and mm-hmm. to use the same powerful rhetoric possible to try to change the way it's it's being taken broadly? Or do I just succumb? Mm-hmm. And I think that the vast majority of them are gonna pick succumb. But when it comes to the actual, like, it, let's say it's it's crossed over to where it's a physical change happening, 
then I think that's that's where I think like dangerous things may happen. Like, will they will they force and and do the things that need to happen? Yeah. To make sure those changes occur, and then how big of a backlash will they deal with? And yes, I do think there's a whole world of people relying on people not talking about the truth of it. Let's look at look at two measures on the ballot right now. Yeah. Measure B and Measure C. Yeah. Measure B is about fact that most people who live in single family homes don't pay a special fee for trash collection. Mm -hmm. And the campaign for it has said nothing about we why the merits of paying for a special fee for trash collection. The campaign's almost entirely about like you'll get free bins if your bin <laughs> falls apart. Yeah. And be his for bins. And and it'll take care of an of an unnamed inequity. Right, like an uh, an undescribed inequity. There's no no one says like we're going to address this inequity by charging half of the people who a fee, or all the people half of you who don't pay a fee, you'll start to pay a fee. Yeah, but we're going to address this inequity, and that's the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you get free bins, and we're going to address an inequity. Oh, how well, boom! You, you're into that, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. And so I think that. And then look at the other one, Measure C. This is the removal of the height limit. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to have a lot more trouble. This is the height limit in Midway area. This is going to have a lot more trouble passing this time. You think? Than, in, in, than two years ago, I believe. I think from the polling that I've heard about, from just the organized opposition, seems more getting more traction. Mm-hmm. I think it's, I have no idea if it's going to pass or not, but it does seem like there's a more cohesive and uh, passionate response to it than there was in 2020 and i think that you kind of get like one bite at the apple you get like one chance to like slip one of these things in yeah and if it sits for too long then then the people who make it real to the real people people catch up to it they they will they catch up and they 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 they're much more antagonistic to it and so i think you have a situation where the trash fee Mm -hmm. is not settling in for people what it means and, and again i think there's a ton of rational arguments for it that they have chosen not to popularize and instead the the you know it might get implemented a lot more easier eat a lot more easy right now mm-hmm. than if it if it sort of stewed for a couple of years mm-hmm. so if you're saying as with the height limit if measure b were to pass and then there's a legal challenge or some sort of logistical discrepancy about I don't know the, the fee study or something that that requires another step. It's the, it's that second step where people are going to go whoa 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 whoa, much like they are with Measure C right now. Whereas it it sort of sailed through two years ago. There was barely any discussion about it, but then it loses this lawsuit, and now like the oppos- the opposition is like battle-tested their arguments. Yeah, and I, I think they would be better at making it real to people. People, And and I think like... But would they? I guess that's the question. Is like, right. I mean, presumably you've got like a group of political consultants out there who are like, look, ignore all the journalists that are going to like argue you have an obligation to like yes. be intellectually forward, forward and honest about this. Like, <laughs> our job is to win. Say this set of things to win. We tested the... We, we poll-tested the messages... This is the way to victory. And I'm guessing that they're saying that like it, they would not be better off to like deal with this straightforward. No, yeah. I, I don't want to make like some like moral argument that you you have an obligation to like tell the front and articulate mm-hmm. to people what the impacts of what you're doing are and make make sure they're clear on it before they make a decision, right? I'm more just saying, like, <laughs> yeah, we don't, we we don't wouldn't care want, about that. <laughs> we wouldn't want to associate ourselves with that sort of moral stance. <laughs> I'm more just saying that it's the, this is the this is the outcome of these how these two different worlds work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess, like, I I just think I think that we need to look at people who are leading the community. And making commitments mm-hmm. that they get the dopamine high from, and question whether they're going to really be there when either the backlash comes or the moment to take somebody's stove comes. Yeah, are they going to be there? Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't think 
somebody like Todd Gloria is going to be there. Well, I mean, you know, and I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that most of these promises have like target dates that exceed the term limits of the offices that people hold. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, and See you later. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I mean, I guess it's it's an intergenerational equity type argument. Right. Right. right, like you, right. you can like make decisions now that you benefit from, but the actual cost of dealing with them are pushed out into the future. We're going to take a quick break. More world collisions on the other side. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Okay, along the idea of like worlds colliding, like there's always... This this happens in like the social justice sphere, right? Mm-hmm. Where like the promises and commitments of a more equitable approach to things, uh, uh, you know, righting the wrongs of the past reckoning, that that is a lot easier to talk about sometimes than it is to actually like it, uh, you know, implement. That mm-hmm. there's it's it's easy to make commitments, but then when things like actually happen, it gets a little weird and the worlds collide. And I think there's a version of that. Maybe it's a stretch with what we talked about with the lowriders, right? In in National City, we had a debate for the mayors of National City, the mayoral candidates. Mm-hmm. And and this ke- question keeps coming up about that. So, give us the background on the um the policy discussion and and how it's just like hasn't had the chance to come together. Yeah. So, little background, uh National City in 1992 banned cruising from any of its city streets in an effort to prevent these really large kind of like weekly weekend events where like people from LA all over the place would come to Highland Avenue and just cruise. And police made the case and some business owners at the time that those cruises were, you know, creating roadblocks and um bringing in both crime and gang activity. And so the city decided to ban cruising. Um, It's a misdemeanor. It's punishable by a $1,000 fine and six months in jail, possibly. Um, For years since then, so many different lowrider groups have tried to get the city to just like toss out its ban. And I think that recently with uh, Alejandra as mayor, um, I think that it seemed at one point like that was might happen. Um, you know, I think that there's a shift where there was recognition that low riding is a part of Latino culture. It's a celebration and that a lot of these bands were used to over police uh, low riding groups who are predominantly uh, Latino and black residents. Uh, so a lot of people have this sense that these laws are racist or discriminatory or just use another effort to police these communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. It seemed for a while like there was support, but I think what's happening with National City and there's this idea of this policy that everyone agrees is bad and um, 
should no longer be a part of National City's history. But then it gets like complicated by being combined with, um, you know, uh, this these cruising events and the city's ability to handle uh, intended consequences or consequences of these low riding events. So, like again, roadblocks, um, impacts on local businesses, impacts on people just trying to get around their community. Um, yeah. So they 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 liberalized the law. Yeah. And then an event happened and they're like, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like this event was really big. Um, I, I think the group that pushed for or that organized this event, which came out of efforts from the city, like they were like, well, maybe we should test out what happens if we lift this ban. Um, this event turned out to be much bigger. It was really publicized. It was like on the Cinco de Mayo weekend as well. So like it was probably much bigger than it normally would have been. Um, and yeah, like the, the city was kind of like, whoa, whoa, we need to figure out, like, we need more police over time to help direct traffic. We need this, we need road signs on the freeway and like started adding all these charges. And so now the conversation has really been muddled between this like dispute of events and resources as opposed to just like, we all agree this law is bad. Yeah. We, we, so we asked Alejandro Sotelo Solis, like why they haven't made that you know, work yet. Why mm-hmm. haven't they made good on this commitment that, mm-hmm. you know, when things actually started happening, they got scared. And this is what she said. It's recognizing that there are intended and unintended consequences with every policy that is lifted or that is maintained. And the one thing that we, we have to recognize is that the community of National City good, bad, indifferent, is going to be the ones who have to deal with the consequences. We had people to say that they couldn't get to the tiendita across the street, or they couldn't visit family members. Nine MTS buses were rerouted that night. Nine. That meant people weren't home on time, that people couldn't pick up their little ones. All that to say, this can work, but we have to understand that there has to be processes in place that you know, at the end of the day, keep everyone safe, both the cruisers, the families that are watching, and the neighborhoods in the surrounding area. So, yeah, again, a, a commitment when it actually comes together is, is kind of messy. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting here is the law itself, like police haven't enforced it in three years, I was told, but possibly even longer. When you like, think about there's it, no tickets, there's no tickets. And so police could still enforce rules of the road, right? Like if lowriders were parked in the middle of the street or whatever, you you know, uh, lowriders are not registered. Like you can still enforce those laws. And so then it's like, well, then this law is just really symbolic if you're not enforcing it and people can still cruise and they're not being pulled over, then what's the point of having it in the first place was my question to her was, aren't these two separate things? One conversation is about this law that you all agree is bad. Another conversation is just how the city handles big events. The fundamental, they're still not willing to take the law. No. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, she says in there and we talked, we said, asked her about this to some extent in the, the debate. It's like she says there needs to be a process to do this. Like, I got to say, I think people are within their rights to lose faith in government if you if there's no process that results in changing a law that everyone in power agrees should change. If like it, it should it, government can't be that complicated that it's that it takes years to undo a law that there's already buy-in on changing. Like mm-hmm. it, people should be are in with well within their rights to expect more more like urgency in in their decision making. And there's a process. They yeah. have temporary use permits. Right. That's yeah. the process. Yeah, every farmer's market that there is disrupts <laughs> travel patterns. Like the Yeah, you're either into it or not. Yeah. 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 So I I I have been in my share of argument with bureaucrats, policy professionals, outside advocates. Okay, uh, bragging. <laughs> flex <laughs> um about these sorts of like big picture policies like the whether it's the the city's 
housing element, which says how many homes they need to build within the next eight years Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how real those sorts of uh, commitments are right down to people saying like it's not a commitment like you're wrong to to refer to it as such um or the climate action plan about like what you know why is it that so many of the policies that you adopt after adopting the climate action plan very clearly do not achieve by your own measurements the things that you've already committed to and like what's going on if that's the case why like why do you have to make me feel like i'm crazy because i like I read the staff report on the previous stuff that you committed to. Like, I remember it. Mm-hmm. And now you're doing this other thing that very clearly doesn't support it. And like, help me square that. And if I could like steel man, what they have argued to me, I think it's basically some version of, we don't actually think we're going to meet the specifics that we've committed to. And we don't really intend to. But we set a big course out in the future and everything that comes in after that heads in that direction. And if we miss it, at least we're in that direction and we miss it by five degrees, but whatever it's a, we're, we're driving a steamliner and we are at least not going the wrong direction. We're going towards that thing. So the housing element that we adopt that says we're going to have 108,000 new homes at all of these different income levels in the next eight years, like that is a fantasy, but we'll get closer to it based on having adopted it. And we'll, we'll have each policy we adopt after this course will get us closer and closer to that. And that's as good as we can really hope to do that, that like enacting policy is a complicated thing. And we just want to make sure we are directionally right. I think there's th- that makes sense to me, and I, I see that. And it'd, it'd be fun to see somebody articulate that for real, right? No, I, would love it. I would love it. Uh, however, <laughs> there are some like kind of immovable like stock pieces, right, mm-hmm. within yeah. the the moment, and and those include like a road user charge, yeah, or um, stoves. Again, like there's these moments where it's like, are you going to do it or not? Yeah. Are you going to make sure that all of the vehicles in California sold are electric or not? Yeah. Are you going to make sure that, uh, you know, that everybody has a green bin yeah. or not? Yeah. What are we? What? Well, let, let me ask you, Andre, how different do you think this is from like a status quo where residents are unaware of lots of things. And so like, yeah, they're unaware of like future policy mm-hmm. priorities that may have been committed to, but they also may be unaware of like the taxes that they're already paying. Yeah. Right. I mean, like when you get down to it and you start talking to community members, it's it just, it's like what Scott said, it's like the, this huge disconnect between what these policy people are trying to put together. And then once it hits that moment, because so many people are just dealing with life, just <laughs> living life. And like they're not paying attention to all these policy discussions or what already has been done. But how do you fix that? I don't know. Maybe you don't need to fix it. Maybe it's okay to keep passing policies and slip them ones in you can to move things along the little you know, by little general direction that need to go. And it's just gonna drive us insane. Yeah. We're just gonna be over in the back, be like, hey. None, like, yeah, so and I'll do like, my TikToks like, yeah. hey, did you realize you're going to have to pay for trash? And like, it's, 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 it's like that meme of like the people dancing at the party having a good time. And yeah. it's like some sullen guy who's like, yeah, they don't know about whatever like yeah, esoteric exactly. thing. Like you're the guy in the corner who's like, they don't know that they're not going to be able to drive if they live in <laughs> GPA in 2050. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, exactly. And so yeah. maybe that's just the maybe that's just like maybe that's the way it's always been. But and maybe that's I'm I'm at this like where my job literally is to try to like drive bridge the gap between these two worlds and make sure people understand all that and maybe I should just enjoy that I have a role because they do all this super complicated policy with all these aspirational goals and nobody understands what it is so I get to be the guy that helps them understand that maybe that's fine but I do think they run the risk of driving more distrust in leadership when 
these things are treated like scandals that were hidden because they were hidden in such complexity, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The road user charge that was theoretically put into them because in the future it might be legal to do. And, and then somebody can paint it as like, see, they're trying to hide it and slip it in. Well, and they can say, well, we had all these, you know, public we, we outreach public. discussions and we, we <laughs> talked about the public, you know, the mass tax was going to expire at some point. And then there's going to be a road user Sandbag charge. meets it's, in public session every Ten, at 10 a.m. every Friday, it's it's broadcast. You can f- tune in. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. And, and, yeah. and I feel like... <laughs> Which is true. All of those things are true, by the way. Right. Like, we're, we're doing the voice that you say when you, like, make fun of somebody. But, like, it is both true that that happens and they're therefore complying with public records law and also that, like, only weirdos tune in. Yeah. And... <laughs> you know? Like, Regular people don't. Yeah. And, and yeah. that if there's not people trying to make that that connection to the broader populace in a way that like helps them understand better so they're ready for this moment mm-hmm. there will be people who weaponize it more and more to the point where i think they get it to where you can't trust these people at mm-hmm. all and mm-hmm. and yeah. that's part of what i think fuels this idea that there is a insidious group of people running things yeah and and driving people towards something that they can't trust or understand the impacts. Of. So I guess there is a disingenuousness that comes from the the underside too. Sure. Like mm-hmm. if you go if you listen to like the reaction to any housing project, any housing project. Yes. 100%. It is the moment there's a public meeting, what everyone says is no one told us about this. Yes. <laughs> they say that at the public meeting where they're being told about it. Yeah. That like this is the first we're hearing about it. And it's like you have to hear about it at some point. Uh, you have to There's hear a first it. time to hear about yeah. it. And like, so like, <laughs> right. Is that like your first annual in- inaugural? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah exactly. Yeah. So this is your inaugural hearing of it. You're going to be virgin to it at some point. Yes. You and can't say like, I didn't hear about it before. Every time you hear about something the first time. Yeah. And like, and, and they weaponize that as like, to support your idea that like something insidious has happened something's here. being the, 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 yeah. the, the, secret, and and yeah. it's like often the the proper response to that is like this is the process you're hearing about it now to to suggest that something corrupt or unseemly is going on because this is the time you heard about it is like an obscenely uh like unrealistic expectation of democracy that like we should go door to door at the moment that the thought occurs to a property owner to just to make sure we get out ahead of it and 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 people weaponize that it, to to oppose things when their issue isn't actually actually procedural they they mm-hmm. don't have any process complaints they don't want the thing itself if they find out about it earlier or later it doesn't matter what they don't want is that project and the the means of having heard about it are just like a, a, a way to oppose it without sounding like you oppose them. But thing. I think even that, like I, you know, covering neighborhoods of the city of San Diego, yeah. I went to a lot of these meetings and- They all say it, right? They all say it. Yeah. But then also like the minute they say it, I never heard a response like what you just said. Yeah. Like I think it, the minute someone says, this is the first time we're hearing about it. Yeah. Then like they backpedal and they're oh, like, they do. They, okay, that's we're, true. We're, you know what? We're going to have some more meetings. Yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> and then you have more people at those meetings saying, this is the first time we're hearing about this. Like, I, I completely agree. I've gone to so many community planning group member meetings uh-huh. where I've been like city staff does such a disservice to themselves and the community by disassembling, like, like falling apart under that questioning instead of like, I think often what these community groups would really like to hear is just some honesty. Mm-hmm. And like like and I I think you're probably not going to make a big difference, but you might make some difference from time to time just saying like, yeah, this is the time you get to hear about it. Right now, we're telling you now. And uh let's be real. Yeah. That's not why you oppose it. Well, mm-hmm. I, you just don't want us to have a speed bump right here. I think that the <laughs> danger though is is feeding the fantasy, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you if you're like that's what's so reckless, I think, by about what Todd Gloria and Catherine Blakespear are doing is that they're they're letting people they're saying, oh yes, 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 you can still be with us on climate. Yeah, and, and, and in fact, we're still uh, every bit the climate champion that we were twenty five minutes ago. Right, we can still pursue this sustainable planet, this just you know fix of the of the trajectory we're on 
we don't have to do that hard thing though. And the next yeah. hard thing that comes up, we can, and so it just feeds that, mm -hmm. you know, coastal progressivism that's like, we're good, we can be concerned about the environment, but we don't have to change anything about how we live yeah. or how the city works or anything like that. And I think that, look at Chula Vista, the mayor, you asked the, the mayoral, mayoral candidates for Chula Vista, do they support this road user charge or not? Yeah. And of course, John McCann doesn't. But then there's there's Amar Kampanajar, who's being seen by Todd Gloria and these others as their big hope. Because if Chula Vista doesn't mm -hmm. come and doesn't have a leadership spot in, in this progressive caucus of San, San Diego Association of Governments, the transportation plan, then it's all going to fall apart. The whole dream of the climate thing is going to fall apart. And yet here's the progressive Democrat who's like, no way. I'm not supporting that. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a non-starter. It's it's and and so like somebody described it publicly and everyone was like, yeah, no, no, that's off the table. We're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I and so I think you 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 feed this mentality that you can hold yourself up as trying to like solve the world's problems and you don't have to do anything hard in the moment that that comes. You don't have to deal with any of the hard things that come with those those decisions. You have to tell people they have to get out of the cars. You don't have to take their stoves. You don't have to do anything. And I think like when the there's gonna be there's has to be at some point a clash, and I don't know how it gets reconciled. They can take my stove. Gives me an excuse not to cook. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Remember we we highlighted that clip from Todd Gloria uh, from Politifest where he said like, "You guys gotta stop criticizing me." about homelessness and come and grab an oar and row with me. Remember that? Yes. The, the whole row with me thing. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what was that one? Stop acting a fool. Yeah. Quit acting a fool. Yeah. Um, one is like a, uh, like a folk song and one is like a hip hop song. <laughs> <laughs> like row with me, grab an oar and <laughs> row with me. And then, <laughs> and then acting a quit acting a fool. Is like yeah. we've jumped thirty five years into the future. Now we're dealing with, yeah, with right within like thirty <laughs> seconds. He switched he's, genres completely. Both very American, though. He's like celebrating the American songbook. All right, fair enough. So, <laughs> among the things he was saying in that was like, we have a huge problem. I'm doing all these things. I need you to help me with these long term like sports. I got sports arena. I got uh, the city center this downtown redevelopment i've got these shelters i got the bridge to home blueprints and all these words right yeah about what they're doing mm -hmm. yeah. you need to row with me on these things and he says the big problem is is that the number of people falling into homelessness is bigger than the number of people we're able to get into shelters or homes yeah and until we invert that it's going to be a problem and I think a lot of what he was saying that whole time up on stage, frankly, was some version of you guys need to buckle up. This is going to be long and hard. It's not going to get better and no other place is doing better. So, you know, maybe stop criticizing and it's just going to be a bad run for a while. Right. And that's a tough message. I don't want to critique it right now, but I don't I don't think that's the best leadership style at the moment. But it, to our previous conversation, it's a little more honest. Yeah. Then. But I think among that was that question. And I think it left us with the question, what is the actual number of people mm -hmm. falling into homelessness versus the number we're able to get into homes? Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we finally have a little bit of data on that. Yeah. And so Lisa Alverset has been like trying to get this number or, or some clarity on this number for a while. And she was she was critical of, of the, the fact that the region didn't have this number when Los Angeles and San Francisco have known this for a while. They've they've they have tracked this inflow and outflow question for a long time because it's pretty obviously important if you're going to track your progress at all, like to like be like keeping a budget, but like only focusing on what you're spending. Yeah, mm -hmm. like I mean that's some information, I guess, yeah. but like you're missing a half of the one information you would want well and it helps you know? with the one of the central questions that people have is like how could this be getting worse we're spending more You're than spending ever spending all this money yeah yeah more than ever right yeah. and it's like, but it looks the same to us if not worse yeah yeah and so yes but the the regional task force on homelessness has put together a number now their number is 
the the essentially the number that they've arrived at to to measure the amount of people who are becoming homelessness is based on people who accessed any sort of service within the homelessness continuum for the first time so they're aware of people who you know they they know they that the system talks to each other yeah. such that they know when people get one service from somebody in february and then somebody else from a different service from some other service provider in june if that's the same person they're aware of that they yeah. can connect those two things so now they can in, they can count the individual people who accessed a service for the first time this year and that number is for every 10 people this year that we have put into permanent housing 13 people have accessed homeless services for the very first time. Yeah, the numbers were actually bigger in in the sense of than I than I even imagined. It said 15,000 people sought homelessness services for the first time and 12,000 people were were placed into homes in that same period. Right. A delta of 3,000 and like you said, yes, yeah, 13 to 10. Right. But for every 13 people 10 uh, uh, were getting housed and that that can help explain why why some of this number. Now, I think one thing that's important about this is we're not talking about pure street unhoused. Yeah, the the ten, the 12,000 people who were placed into housing, that wasn't 12,000 people who were living in a tent on a sidewalk in downtown San Diego who you can were be homeless that, and, some and of just them be are. like couch surfing or living in your car living in a car families from hotel to hotel for a while like yeah. you're 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 you still don't have a home right but you're not necessarily visible at that point and so we're talking about people probably in that circumstance. And, and that and but we're counting in the same way i mean that, that 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 same thing is true for what we're essentially using as the denominator here the the number of people who are becoming homeless is they they might you know the first time you access services you might not be living in a tent under an overpass, mm-hmm. right? You you may have lost a lost your job. You can't make rent anymore. You still have a car, so you're living in that. You've got a few friends' houses. You're couch surfing, but like you can't do everything that way. So you are accessing service in some way. So it's 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 apples to apples, I guess, is the important thing to know. And so if you have if you quibble with whether it's measuring things the same way, it's at the very least consistent. And so it still explains the trajectory of things getting worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's the value of the, of the calculation is there's a big delta between our ability to put people into permanent homes who are on the brink or, or out in the public view versus how much demand for that is coming. And I think I keep hearing the same stat that's, that's difficult is the the largest, the biggest and fastest growing population of people are over 55, right? Yeah. And Lisa talked to a few of those out there, people who, you know, for whatever reason, lost their, their housing and are trying to figure it out. And they also have a disadvantage trying to get into the workplace. Right. Or they have extra problems that need to be solved as living in that sort of way. If you have a, a walker, you know, like uh, Peggy Petey, a freelance photographer that um, worked with Lisa on the story, had a, a, a photo of, you know, a, a tent-strewn street downtown um, that the, the sidewalk was otherwise empty besides the tents. And everything, the only thing outside of the tents was was walkers that, you know, you, you have, actually have seniors who are <laughs> who are in, in that state of disability that are living on the streets. Mm. Well, it's grim. Uh, so check that out. Voicesandiego.org. Lisa continues to be on the forefront of digging up new data, new information, and also voices from the streets uh, to um, help characterize and provide some substance about this just overwhelming crisis we're facing in the region. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast recorded in San Diego and named Voice of San Diego. It's the most popular one of those. Be sure to follow us on Instagram. I've been breaking down local measures and state props there. We're also explaining some of our biggest stories and featuring pictures from our talented photojournalists. It's been great. Find us at Voice of San Diego 
That's at Voice of San Diego. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is Managing Editor. Andre Lopez Villafania is also Managing Editor. Nate John is our expert producer. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 